Hey y'all, it's Jesse. We're toiling away on brand new episodes coming to you throughout the fall. Until they're hot and ready right from the oven? Or the editor's booth? Yeah, that feels right. We're revisiting some of our favorite episodes, like this conversation with the acclaimed chef and cookbook author, Yotam Odolenghi, founder of the Odolenghi Test Kitchen. You will melt when you hear him rave about a sweet treat you absolutely have to make this fall. Here, have a listen. Hi, I'm Yotam Odolenghi. I am a chef and a restaurateur, and I'm also a cookbook author and Fun fact, something you might not know about, is that I'm also a qualified Pilates instructor. (laughs) You know, if one day everything goes wrong and people don't want to go out for meals anymore and then my services are not required, I have a fallback option. I'm Jesse Sparks, and this is The One Recipe, a podcast that talks to great chefs and home cooks with one big question in mind. What's their one? The staple recipe that is so flexible, they might literally be able to bend it to their whims. This week, we're exploring the magic of meringue with the man who helped bring them back to the mainstream, Yodam Odolenghi. Yodam's an Israeli-born British chef, cookbook author, father, and the founder of the Odolenghi Test Kitchen. That's where he and a team of chefs create and test recipes that end up in his columns in The Guardian, on TV, and in a series of cookbooks all under the Odolenghi Test Kitchen name. And best of all, he's got plenty of sweet, sweet inspiration for anyone looking for a kid-friendly dessert. Here we go. Hey, Odom, how's it going? Hi, good. Good to talk to you. Great to talk to you, too. Oh, my gosh. You have published nine best-selling cookbooks, with the latest being Odolenghi Test Kitchen, Extra Good Things. So aside from all of the amazing just knowledge that's kind of floating around in your brain, what was the inspiration behind this book? So Extra Good Thing, which I published with my colleague, Noor Murad, is actually, um, it's something that reflects the way we cook now in so many ways. So um, in the world, uh, we like the post-pandemic world and, and the world that's so full of crisis, people really find refuge in the kitchen. That's where they find, find comfort. First, we were kind of forced to spend hours upon hours and days upon days in the kitchen because we were not allowed to go anywhere else because <laughs> right. of the pandemic. But I think now we actually change choose often to spend time in the kitchen because it's it feels like the place where we feel uh, a certain degree of comfort and safety and familiarity. So as a result of us being spending so much time in the kitchen, there are certain techniques and skills that I think are really relevant to this point in time, but is also they're as old as, as food history, really. And this book, Extra Good Things, really focuses on how should I describe them? Condiments? It's not a really good word. It's a bunch of, that's why we call them extra good things. Because <laughs> it's a lot of things <laughs> that you have in your fridge or on your shelf in the kitchen that are stored in jars or containers. It's a marinades, it's a dressing, it's a sauce, it's a fr- flavored oil, it's a sprinkle. It's It's things that really add all that incredible flavor to food. And this book is not a book that shows you how to make them, the condiments. You make normal food, you make your dishes, you know, beautiful Otolenghi-style dishes. But once you finish cooking uh, your dish, whether it's a polenta, whether it's a rice dish, whether it's an eggplant dish, you end up with a little extra, uh, which is the, that extra good thing, a marinated sauce uh, that you could just, it's the beginning of the next meal. 
Ooh, I love that so much. So for people who may be new to your work and new to your specific style of recipe development, how would you kind of define what makes an Otolenghi style meal? That's something that we uh, we grapple with all the time <laughs> in, the, in the Otolenghi test kitchens. We obviously always experiment with new dishes and uh, we cook something new and we ask ourselves, how do we Otolenghi-fy it? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> how do we make it extra special? During your workday, you're kind of rubbing a lot of shoulders with chefs that are really focused on developing these new and ambitious and super flavorful recipes. But when you're at home, it's a little bit different, right? You have two sons. So what does your home cooking look like? Yeah, it's actually very different. It couldn't be more different. I, I, in actual fact, I mean, <laughs> people think that testing recipes is similar to cooking. Actually, it's got not, it's, they're two very unrelated activities. You know, it's like sometimes I get really confused. Like I come home and I want to cook something and I, and I, I go like, oh, where's my measuring spoons? Because I need to measure every little <laughs> right. thing. And where's my timer? Because I need to time every little thing. Because this is, this is the world of the recipe testers. You know, nothing is instinctive. You know, you, th- you have to think oh, yeah. about every little thing that you do and measure it and write it down. Because if you don't, then you, you don't have a recipe at the end. It's as simple as that. Right. Uh, but home cooking <laughs> is very different. So home cooking for me, it's different also in the sense that I can you know do more what I want, but I actually can't do everything I want because the kids... So I've got a seven-year-old Flynn and a nine, almost 10-year-old Max. And, and Max and Flynn have ideas of their own about what they like and what they don't like. And kids are very vocal. <laughs> they really tell you what they want. <laughs> And uh, whenever you get into a fight with them about what to eat, they always win. So this is one thing I learned very early on. And <laughs> it's like kids always win. You never win. Oh, yeah. So so you have to go with it. And it actually, it can become really fun. So one of the great things about the extra good things, those, those condiments, is that you can cook something quite um, neutral to your kids because kids are very sensitive to strong flavors. So my kids oh, eat yeah. everything, you know, more or less, I would say, you know, they would eat vegetables, etc. but they don't like big flavors and they don't like, like a lot of things mixed up together. If they're eating a carrot, they'll eat the carrot, you know, like raw right. or, or, or pepper. <laughs> but once it's in a bowl with a dressing and chopped up herbs, that's just too much. Too just much. asking too, too much, much you <laughs> Come on. I know, I know. Reel it in. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So uh, so when, we, when it comes to kids, they like, as we said, more neutral things. And then there's all these mm-hmm. condiments that my husband, Carl, and I can, can put on our food to make it more exciting. You know, the chili oils and the chili sauces and the pickles and the things that have the bigger flavors. So do you think that they're pretty adventurous or do they tend to be a little skittish with like new ingredients? Well, you know, it's like it really depends on which way the wind blows or what what side of the bed they woke up. So they can be super adventurous. Like the other day, I took them to a restaurant which has opened around the corner, which is a kind of fusion Taiwanese restaurant that opened really just literally around the corner from when where we live in Camden in North London, and they served uh, chicken hearts. And my kids just ate them like, you know, like they've always had chicken hearts, but it's the first time. And so that was not a problem. I mean, actually, they were, you know, they were battered and fried. So that's everything is delicious. Oh, yeah. It's battered and fried, isn't it? But on the other hand, if you give them a raw tomato, they would go, oh, no, that's just not for us. So it's like certain things that you think are really inoffensive 
and easy and good for everyone. They wouldn't eat. And other things um, that you'd think, oh, kids wouldn't eat that. Like they eat clams, they eat most vegetables, but, you know, on their terms, etc. So I'd say they sit somewhere in the middle, but I think they are relatively adventurous. So what is your one recipe? Okay, the one recipe that I chose to talk about is the meringue roulade. It's the ultimate versatile dessert for me. Uh, so mm. imagine a pavlova, you know, a beautiful meringue, cream, fruit, fruit juices, nuts. So this is a, a, a kind of a ro- roulade form. So it's a meringue that uh, disguises itself as a pastry or, or as a sponge, more like, uh, and you um, you spread it with cream, with lots of fruit, and then you roll it and you cut slices, but really thick uh, meringue slices. Ooh. And um, it's some it's like my almost like my signature dessert because I just find it so satisfying. It looks amazing. Uh, you make the sponge the day before, so you make your meringue the day before. Uh, you just mm-hmm. once it comes out of the oven you, and it cools down, you put a towel over it. You don't need to wrap it too heavily. So essentially what it is, is it's a piece of greaseproof paper that sits in a shallow baking tray. You put the meringue in there and you, you cook it for quite a relatively short amount of time for meringue. So about half an hour at a high temperature. Mm-hmm. So it kind of puffs up, but it stays quite uh, soft in the middle. And when it comes out, you let it cool down. You invert it, so you turn it over. And you peel off the, the the baking paper, and then you put the cream there, your fruit, and uh, you roll it. So you've got like this uh, meringue sponge full of cream and fruit. And um, the one in the book uh, is actually really good for this season. So this has got honey, like caramelized honey, with apples, cinnamon, Ooh. bay leaf, and vanilla. And for me, this is just like ideal for this time. You've got like caramel with a honey flavor. You've got these kind of soft apples that are kind of stewing in that honey caramel uh, with all those aromatics. It's perfect. Okay, so for people who don't know, can you explain what a pavlova is? Yes, so essentially what it is, it's Mm -hmm. a cooked meringue base. Imagine it a bit like a loose uh, tart base. So it's meringue, it's thick. And then you just pile on a lot of delicious things over it. So because the the base is meringue, and often you you keep the center slightly soft and fudgy, so you get two types of meringue, two types of texture. You've got the crunchy on the outside and kind of soft and gooey meringue in the middle. Uh, And then you add cream, so that obviously that's the kind of dairy element. And then you top it up with lots of fruit. Sometimes you add nuts. Uh, You can dust some icing sugar or powdered sugar. So you get that kind of beautiful look of fruit dusted with sugar and and cream. I mean, what's not to like, right? Oh, my God. It's We're just like sitting here beaming at each other. <laughs> just because like, it's great. <laughs> okay. So you've also mentioned that like this is something that you make with the kids from time to time, right? Yeah. How often are they typically making it and do they get really into the process? Totally. They love the process. And it is it is one of those things that are great to cook with kids because it's so simple to understand what's going on because it's a mm-hmm. there's three elements. So the meringue element is literally sugar, egg whites, and you know, we put some corn flour and vinegar in it, so that, that stabilizes it. But that is not essential. You can do it without. So essentially, it's two ingredients, egg whites and sugar. Uh, and that beats up. So they really get what's going on there. And they know it starts with something like, you know, 
wet and it goes into something really creamy and foamy. And obviously you can lick that. So they, you know, my, my little one, oh, yeah. as soon as, <laughs> as soon as the process starts, there's like fingers and mixing bowls, like all the time. And again, I, t- I tried to explain to him that that's just not the nature of cooking. That's not what is involved. <laughs> but for him, that obviously that's the attraction. Hey, he's learned one of your essential, you know, cooking tips. Start to taste a little bit as you go and season as you go. Yeah, <laughs> they love that process. But then obviously the best part is when you spread it all out and you spread the cream on top and the fruit. And that's just anyone can do that, you know, dropping fruit on meringue. So they could have done that when they were very young. And and then the magic happens when you when you roll it, it looks like nothing. But when you expose it and you get like that crackly outside, it's so beautiful to look at and then you decorate it so you put more cream on top and you put you decorate it with fruit so once the roulade is made you look you put like a strip of of cream on top and so you know what's inside and if it's berries so you drop berries on top and in this case it's the apple and some more caramel and the aromatics like bay leaves it looks beautiful i just wanted to mention one thing about this this pavlova which makes it different from other pavlovas is that the the meringue is made with a mixture of um like white sugar uh, so you can make it with granulated sugar or caster sugar and the mm-hmm. other half is uh it's actually not a half it's less than a half is uh, light soft brown sugar because most meringues are made only with white sugar but the addition of brown sugar means it's really kind of chewy the brown sugar has a, this kind of high uh, water content, and that means that the meringue is more chewy rather than crispy. Of course, it crispens on the outside, but it becomes really chewy. So that's that's really fun. And that also helps it roll, right? That way you, you make sure that, that the entire thing isn't cracking and falling apart in your fingers. Yeah, so it helps it helps you roll it. Although you can roll also the, uh, a version of this that has only uh, caster sugar or granulated mm-hmm. white sugar. But yeah, the addition of uh, brown sugar helps it. It's much more malleable. So what temperature are we baking this at? So I'm really bad at Fahrenheit. So I would it's it's two hundred <laughs> it's uh, it's two hundred degrees Celsius. So just under four hundred Fahrenheit. I just want to say one thing. I'm actually looking at the recipe in front of me. You set it up uh, to to two hundred, but then you take okay. it down to one eighty. So you take it down by twenty degrees as the as the meringue goes into the oven. So it gives it that big splash of heat when it comes in and then you take mm-hmm. it down slightly it's still quite high for meringue but just a little bit lower so uh yeah that's the technique so can you tell me a little bit about what the visual cues are for people who might still be a little bit nervous making their first meringue roulade so first of all when you make the meringue you have to use a standalone mixer you know you, it's very hard to do with a handheld mixer because you have mm-hmm. to whip up your egg whites and sugar for a very long time it needs to be really super stiff like it needs to hold itself so when you take your mixing bowl and you turn it over you invert it nothing comes out it really holds <laughs> holds its own uh, body so once you've achieved that so it really is very very firm and aerated you spread it out really as equ- as evenly as you can on your line baking tray then you stick it in the oven it goes nice and kind of quite nice dark brown uh, after mm-hmm. about half an hour if you lift a bit of the of the meringue off the tray or a bit of that baking sheet, you'll see that it, it has also darkened on the bottom. So it crinkles on top and goes all nice and dry and crinkled, but on the bottom you'll see color. So these are some visual cues 
And they're really, I mean, it's actually very hard to get that wrong because even if you slightly <laughs> underbake it or slightly overbake it, there's so many things happening there that will save you. So uh, if it's slightly over, it dries out a bit. But as I said, there's white, there's brown sugar in there, which means it will stay pretty soft for quite a while. A cream helps it stay also, or obviously will make it soft and nice and rich. Uh, so don't worry about it too much. So those are some of the visual cues. And when you whip up your cream, just stop the soft peaks because if you go a bit too far, then when you start spreading it out, you kind of virtually keep on whipping it. So it might split when you spread it, which is also not the end of the world. But if you want a nice cream, then just do soft peaks. Don't carry on whisking beyond that stage. Yodum, thank you so much for joining me. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you. I really enjoyed the conversation. Yotam Odolenghi is the co-author of the cookbook, Odolenghi Test Kitchen, Extra Good Things. You can find the recipe for his brown sugar meringue roulade with burnt honey apples on Instagram at v.one.recipe and at theonerecipe.org. This week's episode was made for you by producer Erica Romero, associate producer Ren Farrell, technical director Eric Romani, and digital producer James Napoli. Sally Swift is our managing producer. APM Studios executives in charge are Chandra Kavati, Alex Schaffer, and Joanne Griffith. Beth Perlman is our executive producer. The One Recipe was created by Sally Swift and Erica Romero. I'm Jesse Sparks. This is APM Studios. Go make some magic. Magic.